Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Believe it or not, today is the first Sunday of Advent. That means the season leading up to Christmas. <laughs> the season of preparation is called Advent. And we're here. We did it. So... Since it is Advent, we are launching a brand new sermon series. It's going to be amazing. Uh, The sermon series is called Spilling the Nativity, How a Queer Reading of Jesus' Birth is Good News for Us All. I can't wait. Okay, so for those of you who were like, what did I just see? So spilling the tea is a saying that... I especially heard in queer communities of color, and then it just kind of spread to be like language for all young people, which is often how things go, by the way. So spilling the tea means like the hot take, the gossip, the the like, what's the real story, the truth, tea. Um, uh, and the nativity is where Jesus was born, right? That's like the manger scene. So, Spilling the Nativity will be an exploration of how um, the lives of queer people can help us understand the story of the nativity in a whole new light, in a whole new illumined way. For people who are uh, have been going to church forever and have heard the Christmas stories and watched the Christmas specials or whatever, this is going to be a really fresh hot take for you uh, to be able to approach this, even if you don't identify as queer. And for those of you who are really new to Christianity, like this may be an approach to understanding the nativity that avoids some of the, shall we say, trappings of of, uh, American traditional ways of saying the nativity, of explaining the nativity. So we are very excited for this sermon series. And in addition to the sermon series, we're also going to be having some very special Instagram uh, Advent devotionals that we'll be talking about at the end of the service. So uh, yay for Spinland nativity, nativity. If you're excited for that, can you just like put the letter T in the comments section? <laughs> just to show that we're ready. Come Holy Spirit, spill the tea. Uh, also, if you're straight, we... Do love you. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around with us. Um, okay, so uh, so let's get into it then. Uh, I, I know that I just kind of got into that like effervescent energy, but I want to really dive in to this story of the shepherds. Let's go. Today we're going to talk about glory, but I need you to pretend like all of the things that you previously knew about glory are written on an Etch-A-Sketch and just for a little bit, we're just gonna shake the edge sketch <laughs> because I know that sometimes glory kind of sounds like a like a um, kind of cotton candy nice thing. Sometimes you might have a friend named Gloria, <laughs> and and and, I, and all of those are amazing. We're just gonna set that aside for one second, and we're gonna reconstruct what we understand as glory for the sake of understanding this passage. Because if we look in the Bible, there's some very specific. Uh, tones 
to how glory can be used uh, in the Bible. So, for example, if we look at Exodus 24, it talks about um, when the people of the Israelite nation saw glory. And, and this is what it says. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. A consuming, raging, burning, uncontrollable fire on the top of a mountain. That's what they understood glory to be like. In, in Isaiah 40, it talks about how God's glory is strong enough to raise up valleys and to crumble down mountains. God's glory is this uh, impactful force in the world, this, this thing to be reckoned with. It's noteworthy. It causes fear and trembling as much as adoration. So then cut to uh, the year zero. <laughs> and um, and it, we're in the Judean desert. It's quiet except for just a couple of like lambs bleeding in the night, bleating and not bleeding <laughs> in the night. And the shepherds are all there. It's pretty dark out because there's no like light pollution, right? So it's just darkness. And then boom, the scripture says the glory of the Lord appeared. The glory. What was previously described as a consuming fire on top of a mountain appeared across the sky. And all the shepherds were terrified. And I think that this is a really underrated detail of the story because, of course, in Advent, in the Nativity, we rush to talk about God's loving embrace and how God is like a child and, and how God loves us. Absolutely, Jesus loves us. This we know, like, yes, absolutely. But let us not forget that at least in the beginning of this story, there are shepherds who are seeing the most terrifying sight that they have ever and will ever see in their lives. And it begs the question, how can God, who is loving and embracing and healing, also be scary? And I don't know exactly the answer, but I know what it's like to revere and be afraid of something. One time I was in uh, the Mediterranean, I was uh, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, not so far from where the story of the nativity took place, actually. Not, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, not so far. And um, I was on the beach and it was just beautiful, like Mediterranean Sea, like horizon just kind of goes forever, like children laughing around, people swimming, and and um, and uh, everyone has sunglasses on and beach ball. I'm trying to like remember what the words are for warm weather things. Okay, beach balls, right. And, uh, and I decided to go swimming. And so uh, I go swimming. And, you know, like, I'm a pretty good swimmer, but I'm a Minnesotan, okay. And, <laughs> and so I kind of like go farther out than maybe was wise. And all of a sudden, I started feeling kind of the, I don't know the word, is it the undertow, the, the kind of like, 
It's not the water going into the shore. It's like the pull of the water back. And I was swimming and like, okay, I had taken lessons in my community pool in Minnesota, but I did not know what it was like to swim against this. And so I was like swimming and I was realizing that I wasn't moving at all. And I was like trying really hard (laughs) and I wasn't moving. And I'm like, okay, okay. I'm remembering my Christian training. I am offering prayers and deep breath to God right now. And eventually the waves gave me a break and I was able to kind of like sopping, uh, just like panting, get back onto the shore. And of course, like the scene was just as beautiful as ever. There were still children playing. There were still beach balls and sunglasses and the water was still gorgeous. But in me it was like, this is a beauty that I can't control. This is, this is something that I both am deeply drawn to and in, in admiration and awe of, but that's now mingled with a deep respect, a deep sense of like, this is scary enough that I'm not going to pretend like I can control this. That's what the Mediterranean Sea felt like to me. And and as I'm wrestling through this story, it's like, yeah, I can kind of see how sometimes love and fear are closer than you think they might be. I think about those stories of like moms whose like kid gets trapped under a car and all of a sudden like can lift cars like moms who are running off of four hours of sleep are like nope and are just like lifting cars to get their baby right or like like I um saw a story the other day of a wiener dog that traveled 10,000 miles to find its owners and it's if that gave you pause it's like yeah that's kind of I think the type of pause that sometimes love should give us like whoa, whoa, what? Like, it's almost freaky what love will do or what love can do in the world. It's like this uncontrollable, like, beautiful but not uh, uh, contained force in the world. And and sometimes when you're right in the midst of love, it's almost kind of scary because you you know that you're you're enjoying the ride, but you also know that... uh, you can't stop it or control or steer it entirely. This is, uh, for me as a, as a openly gay man, and really I think that anyone in the queer community could get this, is like, that's kind of what the fear of, of, of deciding that you love yourself in enough such that you have to come out of the closet. Now, uh, people stay in the closet for tons of legitimate reasons. And so I'm not going to um, say that there's only one way to live out your uh, sexual orientation experience or your gender identity experience. I just know that when it comes to that moment where it's like, yesterday I was in the closet and tomorrow I'm going to be out of the closet, it's scary. Like I remember lying on my bed like memorizing the ceiling tiles, just thinking like tomorrow is going to be the day when I say something that will permanently change my life, that I will never be able to undo. And I was thinking this as a 12-year-old, right? Like this was like 
oh my gosh. But I feel love somehow, like love for myself. And uh, certainly like as I'm continuing to grow into myself, I'm like, I feel like one day I'm going to fall in love with a man. And somehow that is so compelling, so such a driving force in my life that I'm willing to sacrifice and uh, put myself in even a scary situation because sometimes love can be scary. God's glory, this this glory, the, the presence of God, that's what glory means in the Old Testament, is the presence of God can sometimes even be a little intimidating or scary. By the way, coming out is scary for a 12-year-old, of course, because it's like, uh, will my family accept me or reject me? One study a while back said that uh, LGBTQ, LGBTQ youth account for about 40% of youth experiencing homelessness, many of whom are experiencing homelessness because they were kicked out of their homes. Right. So there's like on the base level, a very legitimate fear about interpersonal fear. But there's also like way bigger, broader picture things. Right. Like whether it's um, nervousness around the direction that the Supreme Court is going to go to um, seeking ordination in a denomination that isn't totally affirming of LGBTQ people. Right. Like there's implications to coming out. And, and after you come out, it's really hard to un-come out. So like there is a, a dive, there is a, there is a step off of a cliff that you're taking. And, um, and it, if it wasn't for love, if it wasn't for the strength and the, the um, passion of love, then I don't know if any of us would really make it. And yet, here we are. But even 12-year-old Tyler knew that when this Jesus guy says, do not be afraid, he really means it. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the glory of God on earth. As in, like, the glory, the presence, that consuming fire on top of the mountain is Jesus. And when we look upon the cross and on the empty tomb, we have to uh, cultivate this sense of reverence and awe of, like, (laughs) look at the mighty compassion of our God. Look at the beauty that cannot be contained or controlled of our God. That is who the life of Jesus is. And to give glory to God is something that Christians often do, meaning we are naming that 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 Jesus is the presence of God on earth, that Jesus's ministry of healing and compassion and justice is the manifestation of the glory of God. And so in worship service, a lot of the energy of what we're doing is reminding ourselves that God is the one to give glory to, not just any of our other idols, busyness, smartphones, white supremacy, capitalism, to name just you know a couple things that people can get a little too obsessed with, uh, but we're giving our glory to God. And if you are new to Christianity, uh, c- congrats on staying with uh, uh, the sermon this long. If you're new to Christianity, all you do to give glory to God is to say hallelujah. And eventually, as we say hallelujah again and again, as a community worshiping God, saying hallelujah, we condition our hearts to love God. At New City Church, we call this love training. What worship is, is love training. And with enough love training, I've learned a lot of things. I've learned that, heck, I've made a lot of mistakes. 
I'm making a lot of mistakes. I will make a lot of mistakes. And God's grace and mercy is so much greater than my mistakes. But I also learned that being gay is not one of those mistakes. I remember the first time when I was uh, uh, 10 years old reading Romans. I read the Bible voraciously and continue to. And the first time I encountered Romans, at 10 years old, I had no access to biblical scholarship that could explain to me that this is not, in fact, a condemnation of homosexuality. So I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, shoot, this is a condemnation of homosexuality. So I folded my hands and said, God, I know, even as a 10-year-old, I know that I cannot change whether or not I am gay. I am 100% confident. So God, if this is something for me to change, then go at it. The door is open. Please, the offer is yours. Here are the keys to my life. All of my decisions, all of my choices and words and actions, God, I want you to take with this and, and do what you will. Because I believe that if God wants something, then it'll happen. And so, God, if you want me to not be gay, then, then here you go. And God accepted those keys and was like, oh, my darling, thank you so much. This is not the offering that I desire. Because God told me, even back then when I was 10 years old, that that the God who created the universe doesn't make mistakes like this. The God who set the planets into orbit, who created oceans and mountains, the God who uh, invented the endocrine system and the complexity of the human eye, the God who is moving through every moment of every instance of history for the past millennia, that God does not make mistakes and your sexuality is something that cannot change. And if it cannot change, then that God chose that sexuality. It is intentional. It is on purpose. If our sexuality is not a gift from God, then God made the mistake. And we are the ones who need to forgive God. That is heresy. <laughs> We are the one, we are only tasked with loving God. God does not need our, our forgiveness because God does not make mistakes. And so your sexual orientation, your gender identity is not a mistake and it can't change in the convenient ways that the empire wants it to be able to be changed. And certainly people have tried throughout all of history, especially throughout Western history, to change uh, our sexual orientation. Like the, the Nazis put gay people in concentration camps to try to change. And, and uh, um, asylums electrocuted queer people to try to change. And, and Christian ministries have promised that if you endure enough psychological torture, then you can change. But again and again, we see that you can't electrocute out the glory of God from someone's body. Because let's recall that Jesus lived on earth, was publicly executed and buried with a big old stone rolled in front of it, just as like a ha-ha gotcha moment from the empire. And then God said, nope, you can't get rid of me that easy. And the tomb went 
And like a champagne cork flying out, <laughs> the earth rejoiced as this tomb opened up and the glory of God persistently came back. And Romans says that that same spirit that resurrected Jesus is alive in us. That resurrection power is alive in us. It is part of the birthright of being in creation, and even in queer people, especially in queer people, that same spirit of resurrection is charging us into the fearful love that will transform the world. And maybe that's why research now indicates that coming out of the closet when it's safe to do so is really good for your mental health. Like, the, the way that we're built does better when people are able to come out of the closet. Maybe that's why dads all over the country, parents in all over the country are saying, I'm now realizing that God made me to raise and embrace a queer child. And that is my calling in the world. Maybe that's why queer people keep ending up as pastors. <laughs> like there's something about this resurrection spirit moving through queer people that is showing the world how God intends for love to transform all of us. I feel the resurrection spirit saying we need to build churches without closets. We can have storage space, but we can't have these secrecy coves where people protect the most glorious parts of themselves anymore. We need to be building churches without closets where people can live into the beloved community, this vision of the kingdom of God, where people can be themselves and invite their whole community, their whole neighborhood, their whole country to come on in, be a new version that you've always been of yourself. That's what the church should be in the world. And in the fact that it has been so twisted and so appropriated by the empire to be something so completely different is heretical to me. But God has not abandoned us. And I believe that by living into our love training we can offer the world a mighty type of transformation, a transformation that is so amazing and beautiful and untamable that people will see it and know that the glory of God is among us. Just ask the shepherds.